Egmont did the male version of prattling on as they walked, about tutors, about nannies, about how his two oldest sons had taken to their studies at university, about being unable to part with any of the ponies his son had outgrown, ponies whose acquaintance Miss Priscilla might like to make. His neighbourly baritone filled a quiet morning, and filled an emptiness inside Teresa too. As a much younger woman she'd had glimpses of what Matthew Belmont represented, decent society. He was kindness itself, civility, fair play, and all the classical virtues in a winsome package. She should have met such a man ten years ago, though even ten years ago would have been too late, and even Matthew Belmont's quiet gentlemanliness wouldn't have affected the decisions she'd made then. For Teresa, Mr. Belmont would have been, and he still was, too little and much, much too late. They ate large servings of apple tart, and Mr. Belmont accepted a second helping without even a pretense of polite demurral. A woman could enjoy feeding such a man, planning menus to delight him and to appease that prodigious appetite. She would look forward to sharing meals with him, and to simply being in his company. I'm off to finish my correspondence and balance ledgers that have been glaring at me for the past week, Mr. Belmont said. I enjoy the physical labour of harvest, but it generates a great deal of paperwork as well, and that, I confess, I find tedious. I love the ledgers and balance sheets and figuring, Teresa said, accepting his proffered arm with an ease that she would ponder when she had the solitude to do so. At Sutcliffe I did not trust the stewards and land agents to operate in Thomas's best interests, so I supervised their every transaction. They were not honest? They were far from honest. Weasels had more honour than that pack of vermin. I pensioned off as many as I could before our grandfather died, and did the bookwork myself thereafter. And where was our Thomas, while you were busily defending the family seat? Mr. Belmont asked. He doesn't strike me as a man who would allow his dependents to be taken advantage of. Teresa would also be honest with Mr. Belmont about this, in part because he'd whined a little, and in part because nobody, not one person in Teresa's hearing, had ever wondered why the wealthy Thomas Jennings, now Baron Sutcliffe, kept his sister mouldering away at the family seat. Thomas and I had a significant falling out, before Priscilla was born. Despite every probability to the contrary, he did not expect to come into the title, didn't want it, didn't aspire to it, didn't even acknowledge it at first, so the business of the estate was of no moment to him until about two years ago. The words were truthful, the way the visible portion of an iceberg could not be called a misrepresentation. I understood his succession was recent. Your family, like all families, apparently has its share of challenges. Challenges, yes, and Teresa was perishing sick of them. I looked after Sutcliffe because, from a young age, I understood that Thomas would likely become its owner some day. Shall I send some food home with you, Mr. Belmont? I cannot abide the thought of you going hungry while we have such abundance here. I would not starve, but I might be tempted to accept an invitation from one of the marriage-minded mamas in the district. A man should consider a bread-and-water diet before yielding to such folly. Thank goodness he was leaving. The longer Teresa was in Mr. Belmont's company, the more she liked him. You will not remarry? If I remarry, it won't be to some girl half my age, who thinks only to satisfy the dictates of her parents. 
His blue eyes were positively glacial as he voiced that sentiment, the sternness of his expression making him impressive in a different, intriguing way. He was the king's man, prosecutor, and judge when the situation called for it, though he was also a lonely papa. Mr. Belmont, I do believe that is the closest sentiment to irritation I have heard in your voice since meeting you. The closest emotion to anger. He'd been leading Teresa around the house, so they now stood at the bottom of the front steps, Teresa's hand on his arm, his hand over hers. The ambushes started at Matilda's very wake, if you must know. Neighbours typically provide meals for the aggrieved, and I swear I met more single young women over ham casseroles than I knew lived in all of Sussex. At the time I was too upset to notice, and thank goodness my brother Axel shielded me from the worst of it. But the campaign didn't stop there.